Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fightful Boxing Podcast. Your Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder 2 post-show recap. It is the official Fightful Boxing Podcast, the one y'all know and love. I'm your host, Carl Storer, and for those of you who don't know, who are tuning in for the first time here on Fightful, welcome. This is a one of the biggest pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing websites that you will find. In fact, I would argue that it is the biggest pro wrestling MMA and boxing site in the land. And I do hope that all of you guys tuning in, you know, stick around, love uh, love what we do. If you want to support Fightful, spread the word, like this video, share this video, check out all the great Fightful content that we have over here on the on the side, go to Fightful.com. If you like pro wrestling, you can go to FightfulWrestle.com. If you like the MMA stuff, which also includes now boxing, now kind of combining the two sections into one big combat sports section, go to FightfulMMA.com. Lots of great content over there. We got a Patreon, FightfulSelect.com. You want to support us monetarily and financially, I, I should say. And it's uh, we're kind of waiting for a couple more people to join into the chat for those of you who don't know, I'm I'm your host, Carl Starr. I've been doing boxing coverage for Fightful since 2016. Been to a lot of fights, including fights from Deontay Wilder. And it is, uh, this was about as big as you could possibly get. I'm excited to talk about this fight. Uh, let's see, we got someone in the chat. Stone Osborne saying, the king is dead. Long live the gypsy king. Uh, yeah, man, it is... We will get into all of that from the results of the fight, from the ramifications it will have into the heavyweight division for years to come. And I think it will have ramifications in the division for years to come. Uh, for those of you who, you know, if anybody is listening to the podcast, you can, again, chime in. If you want to want me to answer our questions, don't be afraid to ask in the live chat. If you got a anything, if you want to make any comments whatsoever regarding the fight, regarding boxing in general, I am all for it. I love to talk to you guys. I love doing these post-show podcasts. But nonetheless, I am excited to talk about this fight. So let's get right into it. 
Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder too for the WBC Heavyweight Championship of the World, and maybe and maybe the lineal lineal championship if you're of that camp that believes that Wilder is still the lineal heavyweight champion of the world. So let's get on into this fight. So Tyson Fury, he stops Deontay Wilder in the seventh round to become the new WBC champion in maybe what is perhaps the best performance of Tyson Fury's career. Actually, no, not maybe. Definitely the best performance of Tyson Fury's career. I would put this way above his performance against Vladimir Klitschko back in 2015 when he won the other three remaining belts, WBA, WBO, and IBF heavyweight titles. And this was uh, this was very, very, very strange to see because I think a lot of people heading into this fight, they looked at Tyson Fury. And they looked at Deontay Wilder, they looked at the first fight, and they kind of thought, okay, if you're in the camp that believes in Deontay Wilder will win this fight, you would assume that you would win, that what we saw would have been the opposite, where Deontay Wilder was the aggressor, and he would be the one who, dro who dropped Deon uh, Tyson Fury twice, like he did in the first fight, and ultimately go into a mid-fight stoppage, a mid-round stoppage. That wasn't the case, so Deontay Wilder... He he landed a couple of good right hands starting out the fight. He landed a couple of good right hands, and we would assume that you know rounds three, four, five, he'll start to get the right hand going. He start to really, really get the get his, get the fight flowing, look look good, and ultimately set up that right hand to score the knockout. But it never happened. And Tyson Fury, to his credit, he did a masterful job throughout this fight, and not only being the aggressor, but being effective when he's aggressive. Not so much that you just push forward, you just you just come forward and throw punches left and right. And that's that's not how you're that's not how that's not being effective when you're aggressive. What Tyson Fury did from the very beginning, he used his footwork and he made sure he got the first step. You can tell from the opening bell, Tyson Fury came in He's, he was almost running, gunning towards Tyson Fury, uh, towards Deontay Wilder, excuse me. And he came in and he just started attacking uh, Deontay Wilder, throwing that left jab. But more importantly, he got that first step onto Deontay Wilder. So what it did is Deontay Wilder was essentially forced to go back and have and struggle to really find any offensive rhythm whatsoever. You know, you would find every so often, you know, he'll throw in a punch, you know, a right hand, and it will look good landing on Tyson Fury. But beyond that, he never really did anything that would really threaten Tyson Fury. He did a lot of great stuff when it comes to, or early on, I should say, he did a couple of good things when it comes to making sure that Tyson Fury respects the right hand. But there came a point where Tyson Fury just didn't respect it or didn't respect it enough to sort of be very careful and try not to do too much or being overly aggressive. No, Tyson Fury was smart. He had an excellent game plan, was being aggressive. He made sure Deontay Wilder never had a chance to set up the right hand. It never did. It never came. Tyson Fury comes in. He drops Deontay Wilder in the third round. He also lands... Early on in the fight, this beautiful short right uppercut to the chin, and it, I wouldn't say it, he got hurt, but he was knocked off balance for just a little bit. Just a little bit. 
And the way Deontay Wilder responded did not look good. Throughout the fight, we kind of start to see shots of Wilder's left ear sort of start bleeding. It didn't look good. It almost looked like, to to an extent, that maybe it was that right uppercut. Maybe we have to we have to look back at the fight. Maybe we'll get Deontay's words on it. But it looked like that maybe that right uppercut landed to at a spot where it didn't just knock Deontay Wilder off balance for a quick second. It threw off his equilibrium like entirely. And we've seen that happen in the past before, where if you hit your opponent right around here. Right around, like, you know, maybe above the ear, something around that area. It throws off your equilibrium to a point where you're not able to properly respond to what's to your surroundings, you know, at, at the same speed that you're used to before getting punched. And what we saw in from the third round onwards is that Wilder looks sluggish, he looked tired, he looked exhausted, he looked like he didn't know where he was, and he was struggling mightily to find some way to to just get back into things. He never recovered. He got dropped in the third round, and from the fourth round on, and I've said it on, and I said it on Twitter, and, and I'll say it now: Wilder never recovered from that first knockdown. He never did. He looked, he he looked off. He looked like a deer in headlights at times. He sometimes would even just fall back onto the rope, not necessarily because Fury was pressuring Deontay Wilder. There were moments, especially, I believe, in the seventh, in the sixth and seventh round, where Tyson, where Deontay would just kind of fall back a little bit into the ropes, almost inviting Tyson Fury in to come in on the attack, and he didn't do it, and it wasn't Deontay... It wasn't the Deontay that we're, so, that we're accustomed to seeing. We don't... We've never seen Deontay kind of go back and move backwards quite to the extent that we saw tonight. And that was all Tyson Fury early on in the first few rounds. But once the fourth round started onwards, he started moving back, not because of Tyson Fury, well, partially because of Tyson Fury, but it was because also Deontay Wilder didn't know where he was. He had no awareness of what was going on. He never recovered from that first knockdown. And then Tyson Fury comes in, comes in and drops Wilder a second time in the fifth round. By the way, I believe we've never had that before. Wilder, uh, it's very rare, and I do mean very, very rare, that we see Deontay Wilder get knocked down, get sent to the canvas. It's not It's not unheard of. We ha- It has happened before, but it, last time I can remember was maybe a decade ago. Since we last saw Deontay Wilder on the campus. And and I don't want to say Deontay Wilder had the best defense in the world. Because I don't. But he's faced, in my opinion, stronger punchers. Not necessarily better punchers. Stronger punchers like Luis Ortiz. Especially go back in that first fight. Wilder was hurt. But he was able to withstand Luis Ortiz's punishment. And not even touched the canvas once, not even touched the canvas once, and was able to survive that onslaught from Luis Ortiz and ultimately win the fight. I thought to a certain extent we would see something similar in which Wilder would eventually recover and start landing those big punches, maybe even drop Wilder, uh, Tyson Fury at least once in this fight. And I thought, even though I have said multiple times Tyson Fury was going to win this fight by decision, I thought Wilder was going to land the right hand and drop Fury at least once because this almost seems to be inevitable at this point of Deontay Wilder's career heading into the fight 
in which Deontay Wilder would just find a way to drop his opponents left and right. But I've also said this many, many times in the past. Deontay Wilder, when he's not hurting guys, when he's not retiring guys, when he's not knocking them down, when he's not stopping them, he has the track record of not winning rounds and struggling at certain moments to win rounds against his opponents when he's not knocking them down. We saw it in the second fight against Luis Ortiz. Luis Ortiz was actually ahead on the scorecards when Deontay Wilder knocked Luis Ortiz out. In the first fight, if it wasn't for the knockdowns Deontay scored on Luis Ortiz that first time around, Luis Ortiz would have been ahead on the scorecards. And we saw this, I believe, Gerald Washington. I believe uh, Washington wasn't ahead, but I believe it was tied on two of the four scorecard on two of the three scorecards before Wilder won that fight. So we have seen Wilder, as much as I believe his boxing IQ is underrated, and I really do think it's underrated. You don't go out and have a great amateur career and be an Olympian and be an, a bronze medalist without having a high IQ. And I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what he what it may look like on paper. That's what I noticed. I do believe Deontay Wilder is a smarter fighter than people give him credit for. But there was, but he does struggle a lot to attack uh, to be able to win rounds convincingly. And I thought that was going to be the case. I thought maybe he'll win a couple of rounds for being aggressive. Maybe he'll drop Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury once or maybe even twice. But not necessarily knock him out. And I thought Tyson Fury being the better boxer, the more agile boxer, and just overall being a smarter boxer and better prepared this time around compared to the first fight where he was where he was freaking go up against Sefer Safari and Francesco Pianetta. Like that's gonna freaking prepare you for Deontay Wilder. I thought Tyson Fury was gonna win this fight. On the scorecards, I never expected him to win. Not that I don't respect his power, but my understand, but my belief was Wilder's faced better, uh, stronger punchers. Again, not necessarily better punchers, but he faced stronger punchers and was able to, you know, survive anything that was thrown to him. Kind of going through the chats, he's saying, "Will be interesting." Uh, Joseph Bolson says, "Will be interesting to see where Tyson goes from here in the combat sports world." Very, very, very true. Let's see, uh, James Peterson. Wilder's a monster, but not a boxer. This was using technique. Who will be right now? Joshua will not fight Fury. I, we'll get into all of that. Um, we'll I, we'll get into all of that in, in just a second. Uh, also, James Peterson in the live stream that that two thirty one weigh in was what confirmed my uh, his belief in a knockout. So that is something that also needs to be addressed. So Tyson Fury came into the fight. Weighing in at 231 pounds, which is a career high, if I'm not mistaken, for Deontay Wilder. And we all knew Tyson Fury was going to come in heavier than what he came in in the first fight. He, he said it as so in the weeks leading up to the fight. But we never expected Deontay to be at this level at, at his weight. We never expected him to be something like 231. No one expected that. But he looked good. And he looked really, really solid. But... I don't want to say, like, the weigh-in was what caused Wilder the fight. Be again, because I thought Tyson Fury was going to win this fight. But there is something to be said about coming in at a weight that you're not accustomed to fighting at. Especially in a fight against Tyson Fury. And you come in, 
and you think maybe that you can withstand the punishment better, but what it does is it throw it tires you out. That extra weight does make a difference. A lot of people think that, like, how much is a few pounds? Because it's not going to make a difference. A few pounds makes a world of difference, especially in boxing. Almost 20 pounds compared to the first fight? That makes all the difference in the world. And again, and I'm not saying that's the reason why Wilder lost, but I do believe it may have did something because again, that's a weight that Wilder has uh, that yeah that Wilder has never fought before as a pro. Tyson Fury coming in at what was the 273? We've seen Fury fight at that weight. We've seen him fight heavier. Like remember that first fight against uh, that fight against Severus Fury a couple of years ago? He came in at 276. So and and Fury looked somewhat comfortable in that fight so it's not like coming at 273 was something unbelievable or something that i thought was going to be detrimental to tyson fury because we've seen him do this multiple in, in the past but we've never seen deontay do this i do believe that deontay maybe ex try to rely a little bit too much on that right hand and that does into to a fighter to a certain extent when you're on the streak of landing these devastating right hands these unbelievable knockouts and you, despite you losing rounds losing on the scorecards it does put them it does say it does plant the seeds of saying well I don't have to worry about winning rounds. I've won all my... I've beaten every single man I've faced by knockout. And to a certain extent, and while they're already not being a tremendous uh, boxer when it comes to technique, that already is a detriment. Go up against someone in Tyson Fury who is, in my opinion, better prepared for this rematch, is fast enough, is agile enough, to be able to avoid Deontay Wilder's punishments for the most part. He's someone that has experienced Deontay Wilder's power and not get knocked out. And the difference between Fury and Ortiz, one, Fury is much younger than Luis Ortiz. Two, although both Fury and Ortiz were were knocked down in the first fight, Fury was the only one to be able to get back up. So he knows what that power is like, and he realizes, I got hit by the hardest punching heavyweight in the world right now. Maybe arguably one of the hardest punching heavyweights in history, and I was not knocked out. So already, that already gives Fury the idea of, I just need to make sure he never even hits me with that right hand, or at least hits me with that right hand to its fullest extent. And if I get the jump on Wilder, then I can potentially knock him out or stop him at the very least. And we saw that. And to be honest with you, I thought when when they made the announcement that Tyson Fury was no longer being trained by Ben Davison and was being trained by Sugar Hill Stewart, I did not I did not have a problem with the new trainer because I think Sugar Hill Stewart is a very good trainer. And he does hail from the Kronk Gym. And that does matter. That is something significant. But I thought the fact that you're changing trainers 
But for a fight like this, that could be very, very risky. But Fury's always been someone who's been comfortable in his own skin, unlike someone like Andy Ruiz, who really never did the... Who never really did something... Who, who, who didn't really take this rematch seriously. That's what Fury did. He had the rematch, and Fury changed his philosophy for this fight. And that takes... And you don't have no idea... And maybe some people don't realize this. Fury changing from uh, the game plan that he had in the first fight to the game plan that he had in the second fight, the, to the way he did it, from changing trainers to increasing his weight, not by a few pounds, by, but like, what, at least 15 pounds. That is significant. And that lends itself, and that, you know, instantly makes Fury's performance all the much better than what we saw. It's, you know, everything leading into the fight. A lot of people was were worried, were, were worried that, like, new trainer, he's coming in, maybe he's not, he's looking a little pudgy there, he's coming in heavier than he did in the first fight, we could be seeing a, a repeat of, uh, we could be seeing a repeat of Anthony Joshua versus uh, Andy Ruiz 2 a couple of months ago, in which Josh, Josh just dominated Andy Ruiz, we thought it could be a repeat of that. And it, it could not be further from the truth. Could not be further from the truth. Looking back at the live chat, Franchise 1218 said, Fury gave him a different look. He came forward, went to the body, and made Wilder fight backwards. Yeah, that's an, you know, that, that pretty much boils down to it. It's Fury had a tremendous game plan. Exactly that. Attack the body, make Wilder move backwards. Make him tire himself out. And you could tell, even from like the fourth round, Deontay Wilder was tired. He was tired of like having to hang on to this like bigger version of Tyson Fury. Not only that, Deontay Wilder is much heavier this time around compared to the first fight. So that does play a factor. And it's not like Wilder has the thickest legs out there in the heavyweight division. It will, it will have an impact and that's what exactly what we saw right there joseph was uh, tyson was riding the momentum from his venture in wwe ring back in october right into this fight yeah 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 listen you knock out braun Strowman like that in saudi arabia it'll do it'll do something for your confidence i can i can tell you that much you know i wouldn't be surprised uh tyson fury you know being a little bit conf being a little happy and pretty confident about about how he did in Saudi Arabia, I can tell you that much. James Peterson, did they ever cover the glove change? Okay, so that's a, that's actually a fairly important thing to, to cover. So, right before that, during the pay-per-view on the card, they came into, they did a little live look-in, and they saw kind of Wilder's gloves being opened from like a FedEx package. A FedEx freaking package, like brand new, like right off, uh, fresh off the presses, and was being inspected. And you know, I, I wasn't able to catch uh, the reasoning for that because that's not something you see. You know, getting, you know, having the commission inspect new gloves right before the fight—that's not something common. That's very rare, and. You know, there was, I didn't quite catch what exactly happened, uh, what was the reasoning. I don't, maybe Bob Bennett the, uh, from the Nevada Commission said something about it, but 
Uh, it wasn't really a big deal. Maybe it did play a role, but it, I don't think it really played. The gloves did not play a major role. If they played any role whatsoever into the final result, it, you know, it was weird. But I, I don't think it was. The, I don't think it was really what caused Wilder to struggle a lot. Uh, franchise twelve. Deontay did try to claim his legs felt weak going to the fight. It's, you know, that extra weight, not just from Deontay, but having to clinch with Tyson Fury, that does, that does say something. And, you know, he, Tyson Fury is not Dominic Brazil. Uh, is not, he's not Dominic Brazil. He's not Luis Ortiz. He is some, he's not just heavy, but he's tall. It's different when you're clinching and you're facing, and you're clinching with someone who is shorter than you. You don't have, you don't feel like you have to carry as much. But when you have someone taller than you and it's heavier than you, that weight and that height does play, does tire you out more than what you, than what we, than otherwise against a shorter opponent. And I think that that, I think that played a factor. I think that played a way bigger role in, in Wilder's loss than any new glove change. I think there's a number of different things that contributed to this fight. I think Tyson Fury's changing philosophy with the new trainers from going from a defensive uh, defensive standpoint to a more offensive-oriented game plan to getting uh, gaining more weight to being able to land good punches early on, being at the grasser. All of that, that played a role and that all... That all resulted into Deontay uh, to Tyson Fury becoming the new WBC heavyweight champion. I don't think it was one singular reason. I think it's multiple reasons that contributed to this fight. Uh, and if you guys have any more questions, you guys have any feedback on the fight, on the undercard, on anything regarding boxing, feel free to drop it in the uh, in the live chat. I very much would love to hear. From you guys, uh, so kind of going r- real quick into what this means for the heavyweight division moving forward. It's very, it's very tough to say this right now. It's very tough to pinpoint that because I figured if Deontay, if this fight is close, maybe we go to a decision, or if it's a something like a Luis Ortiz first fight where Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury wins. But prior to that, the fight was very, very close. Maybe the one, the person who won the fight got hurt, got dropped down, it got dropped into the canvas. You know, I thought maybe, maybe we could see a third fight. Actually, not maybe, probably see a third fight. Now that we saw the end result, man, that was, it's hard to justify a third fight. When a lot of people already thought Fury won the first fight. And the only saving grace Wilder, the Wilder faithful had was, well, he dropped Tyson Fury twice. And Jack Reese did a real slow count uh, on the second knockdown in the first fight. That's the only argument people had with Ty- Deontay Wilder winning that first fight. The only argument. There is no argument with the second fight. Tyson Fury dominated this fight from the get-go. Deontay Wilder, in my opinion, did not win a single round 
in this fight, not a single round. I had it, let's see, it's seventh round, so I had it 59 to 52, if I'm not mistaken, if my math is correct, in favor of Tyson Fury. There was a, there was, there was a point deducted from Tyson Fury. I believe it was for pushing Deontay Wilder down. I, I don't want to say I necessarily agree with that point deduction, but it ultimately didn't matter at the end. So it was in the fifth round, the same round where Tyson Fury knocked Deontay Wilder twice. So it was so it was technically a nine eight round because ten point ten point must system. It was supposed it's supposed to be a ten eight round, but because of the point deducted, it turns into a nine eight round, and. Yeah, I, you could do a third fight. You could do a third right and spin this around as Deontay Wilder's comeback. And there's no bigger comeback than the third fight against Tyson Fury. There isn't. But it's hard for people to really start buying into that third fight. Especially, even if Wilder had just won a couple of rounds. You could do you could do that. You could ju definitely justify a third fight. Now, it's hard for me to buy into it, but the only reason why anyone would still buy into it, including myself, it's because Deontay Wilder's right hand is still the most one of the most devastating punches in boxing. And and I said this even from round four from round four onwards, Deontay Wilder should never be counted out at any point of the fight because we've seen Wilder lose a lot of rounds. We've seen Wilder get hurt. But in the end, Wilder still delivers that right hand and he wins in the fight. This is the first time we've ever seen anything like this. So it will be interesting to see how they approach this rematch. It will be. I, If I were a betting man, I think we might see the re... I, I think we could see a trilogy fight just based on dollars and cents, maybe not October. There were some talk about it being October. October would be eight months away. That would definitely be that would definitely give Deontay Wilder plenty of time to recover, uh, get his head straight, and do this fight. If it were up to me, I'd say I give Deontay Wilder a tune-up five to. Get his get his confidence back up, maybe go up against a top twenty, top fifteen guy. Not necessarily a top five guy. In, in the interim, maybe aim for a late summer showcase on Fox, and then you would have make the trilogy fight in November, December. Take advantage of the of the NFL season in full swing by that point. And we've seen how the NFL has positively impacted. Fox's boxing coverage. It it has. And if you look at the amount of if you look at the viewership for the Fox cards, they are better during the NFL season and immediately after the NFL season than say May, June, July, when there is no football to to promote. And that really and, and I could see that happen. I could also see that. I could see while they're taking a fight in the interim, maybe in the late summer, and just having Fury stay idle. Until then, for for the third fight, that's totally possible. You could do, you could do a, a third. You could do also a fight in the interim, but I don't know how much. I don't know who against who. Jerome um, Miller. Jerome Miller. I mean, okay. Let's look at the heavyweights that they got on, on top rank where Tyson Fury fights for it. Oscar Rivas. 
maybe you could do that. You, you could justify Oscar Rivas to an extent. Jarrell Miller, I don't know. I don't like. I, I don't. Feel, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that fight, especially uh, you know, given all the issues. And I don't think Jarrell Miller deserves that fight. I don't think Jarrell Miller deserves a title fight, uh, especially at this moment. I don't think he deserves it. Uh, really, all the other big heavyweights, either they're prospects at this point or they're not looking all that great. I mean, Brian Jennings, if Brian Jennings had been Oscar Rebus and just continue on this role, you could justify Tyson Fury, Brian Jennings. You could sort of do that. Um, kind of looking at the live chat for a lot of people. Let's see. Uh, James Peter, no way Wilder would be ready for, for by June. No, not June. That's why I said late summer, like August. August would, like at the earliest. And even then, I still be a little trepidation. But August, August is six months away. That you can take a few months for Wilder to recover. It's not like he's, he, he like his body completely broken down. He was hurt badly. But it's not like he's, he needs to have surgery and be on, on the shelf for a long time. That we know of for now. That we know of for now. Maybe he does, Maybe something did happen. But I'm not exactly sure at this moment. Let's see, someone said... Someone someone commented, Usyk? No, Alexander Usyk is waiting uh, to fight Anthony Joshua. He, that's always been his goal, is fighting the Anthony, Anthony Joshua for the titles. And Deontay... And, Tyson Fury wouldn't be interested. He has said this multiple times. He's not interested in a fight against Alexander Usyk. He, you know, he says Alexander Usyk gets into a draw. I mean, like, he's just an Eastern European guy. He's not someone that really, sh- at this level, should be challenging for an with that. I do kind of disagree with that. You know, I do think, you know, look, Usyk's a guy who... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is capable of being a draw. It depends on how you market him and where you place fights at. Uh, putting him in Las Vegas, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. It'd, it'd be a hard sell, Alexander Usyk in Las Vegas, especially at this point in time. But if you put it in places like Chicago, it's going to be good. But Tyson Fury's not going to go to Chicago. He's going to go to Las Vegas for his fights in the U.S. Maybe Madison Square Garden. Let's see. Uh, who else? Uh, maybe Parker, if he puts a decent performance next week. Joseph Parker, again, he's also aiming for the WBO belt. And I you could possibly do that. You could do that. And there is, if you were to book this like pro wrestling, you, there is a way you can book this uh, properly is that, you know, Joseph Parker beat Huey Fury, who is Tyson's cousin, for the WBO heavyweight title. 
So there is a natural, there is a built-in story that you can mark it off of there. But I, J Joseph Parker is aiming for the WBO belt. I don't think he'd be going for the WBC belt. Um, it's gonna be hard. It, it's gonna be difficult to sort of pinpoint where Tyson Fury. If they, if the plan is still do a third fight, I would not be surprised if at all at all if Tyson Fury waits ten months. Like, wait for November, December, maybe next January for that third fight while Deontay Wilder rests up. It's very possible that could happen. So, so now we kind of have... So now, obviously, the, obvious, the road to Undisputed now is Joshua versus Fury. And I said this when Joshua beat Andy Ruiz last December. You're not going to see an Undisputed heavyweight champion this year. You're not. Joshua has made it abundantly clear, along with Eddie Hearn, the plan is defend the titles against your mandatory challengers. That means Kubra Pulev goes first, who is the IBF mandatory challenger, then go up against the WBO mandatory challenger, whoever it is. I mean, right now it's Alexander Usyk, but he's on the shelf. Uh, he's going to fight, he's probably going to fight Dark Chisora in May. I don't know if we're going to see... It's, it's very weird to pinpoint a date for Joshua versus Usyk, but it's very possible we could see that towards the end of the year. But we're not going to see Joshua versus Fury this year. We're not. And it's still very, a very, very hard sell when it comes to Eddie Hearn matchroom boxing versus Frank Warren, Queensbury promoted. Because again, even though Tyson Fury is now basically known as the top-ranked Bob Aaron guy, he still has Frank Warren on board. And we all know how difficult it is to put a fight between an Eddie Hearn guy versus a Frank Warren guy. It's very, very hard. Uh, very, very hard. Almost impossible to see that kind of fight happen. It's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Let's see. Uh, Sufyan Khan says, uh, while they got a beating, a fighter does not recover from that physically and mentally for a while. If he wants to come back, he definitely need a few channel fights. Likes of Carlos Takam, Joseph Parker, Oscar Rebus, Dan White. If, if I'm reading this correctly, you're saying those four guys in a row, that's okay, that's going a little too much. I mean, look, Deontay Wilder is still a top three heavyweight in my opinion. So I would not necessarily say that Deontay Wilder is uh, the Deontay Wilder is he's right at the back of the line. I mean, look, dude is probably it's, you can make an argument that he's entitled to a, uh, to an immediate rematch. How immediate that that remains to be seen. Let's see. Uh, we got another one in chat. Surely Fury should face Joshua. I would love it. I would love it if Tyson Fury would fight Anthony Joshua. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see an undisputed heavyweight champion in my lifetime. I'd love to. Like, as someone who follows the sport very closely and follows the sport, not as a fan, not just as a fan, but someone who, you know, who is a reporter, a member of the media, I would love to, you know, see, see an undisputed heavyweight champion. It's not going to happen this year, unfortunately. I don't think so. Uh, he said, what makes you so sure you won't find Joshua? Well, it's basically how I how he said it. Joshua has multiple mandatories to take care of, and that and Joshua and his promoter out here and have made it abundantly clear that's the plan for 2020. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this moves forward. I do think there are a number of guys, again, guys like 
Oscar Rebus, you could potentially make a fight with Finn. Dillian White. That's not I haven't mentioned Dillian White. Dillian White is someone who is waiting in the wings. He is guaranteed to be the mandatory challenger come February 2021. So I would not necessarily say Tyson Fury will wait a full year. Tyson Fury is definitely someone who likes to keep himself active, who, you know, even, even if it means fighting unbeaten European heavyweights who just graduated from prospect status, he'll fight. He'll, he'll definitely fight again this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't fight Wilder t- uh, again this year. I wouldn't be surprised if Fury does two more fights this year before fighting Dillian White. I wouldn't be surprised if that, if that were the case. So we've probably we spent almost 40 minutes just on this main event alone, but we did have a lot to talk about on this undercard. Uh, so kind of just going, you know, from top to bottom. IBF heavyweight title eliminator Charles Martin beats Gerald Washington in the sixth round in an IBF heavyweight title eliminator in the co-main event. What can I say about this fight that hasn't already been mentioned on social media in the first five rounds? This fight was borderline unwatchable. This fight was so bad. It was, you know, really... Charles Martin, you know, knocking out Gerald Washington in the sixth round. It didn't felt like an awesome moment. It felt like a mercy kill. Like, this fight was... And I said... and I don't know how often I said this publicly, but at least privately... When this pay-per-view card was announced, and I saw Charles Martin and Gerald Washington in a in the co-main event, I just you know just smacked my forehead, thinking this is gonna be awful. And there were people, bless their hearts, who thought this could be like a night little like a fight between two veterans, two guys who just are willing to throw everything on the line, and just maybe we'll end up seeing a sleeper hit. God bless them because at no point throughout the build-up to this fight did I think that. At no point did I think, you know what? Maybe this fight will end up being good. Maybe this will end up being good. Nope, this fight ended up being just as bad as I thought it was going to be. Just as awful as I thought it was going to be. Charles Martin, congratulations. One of the shortest reigning IBF heavyweight champions in history. One of the shortest reigning heavyweight champions in history. And I'm wondering if you go as far as calling him a champion. He held the belt. For like, not even, I don't think he even held the belt for two months. He, he won, he's not the mandatory challenger. Kuropoliv is the mandatory challenger. And that is, a, I believe, a, a title limiter from the number two spot. So basically what that means is the IBF has this weird little thing where the number one and number two spot in their rankings are reserved for people who won title eliminators and mandatory, and are mandatory challengers. So... Washington Martin is probably going to be ranked number two. He's not going to sniff the title anytime soon. At the absolute earliest, 2021, and even then, I wouldn't exactly bet on Martin getting a heavyweight title shot in 2021. Because yeah, he beat Charles Martin, and he, that was a, a nice left hook that he landed in the sixth round to win the fight. No one in their right minds would think... You know, you don't be a great main event, a fantastic main event. Anthony Johnson for the Charles Martin too, because God, Gene Willikers, that rematch is what everyone would hope for. <laughs> no. And listen, and Charles Martin has been a part of some bad fights. 
and I mean bad, bad fights. Like, I'm trying to think back. I'm trying to think back. Maybe there was some... I don't remember if it was him. I don't remember if it was Martin someone else. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was Charles Martin. He fought someone named Gregory Corbin last March on the undercard of the Errol Spence Mikey Garcia card from Dallas, from, from Texas. And I do not recommend watching that fight because this because that fight was if you could have believed this, I would say that fight was even worse than the Gerald Washington fight. By virtue of it actually being a few rounds longer. And the best part of that fight was that Charles Martin won because Gregory Corbin couldn't stop punching Charles Martin in the family jewels if I were to, if I want to keep it PG. He just kept hitting him down low and it just ended on disqualification with like the most unsatisfactory ending to a fight I can remember. No one wants to see Martin, Charles Martin fight for a heavyweight title anytime soon. Yeah, he, that was a nice punch to beat Gerald Washington, but man, don't even, I don't want to see that. Uh, so let's see, uh, franchise twelve eighteen in the latch. Martin getting another title shot shows the lack of depth in the division. I would not say it's lack of depth. I would say is the IBF stupidly putting these two in a title eliminator. There are far more deserving guys who deserve to be. Oh, I, Adam Kanaki, Adam Kanaski, he deserves to be in. Uh, in these types of fights more than Charles Martin in my opinion he definitely deserves that and he's a far more exciting fighter and he's unbeaten and he's his stock is keeps going up every time out it's it's very very interesting how the IBF handles these mandatory title situations because here's the thing the IBF is by far the strictest when it comes to you know, fighter, uh, when it comes to guys, uh, when it comes to when enforcing mandatory challenges, they are about five restrictive. They have no problem telling guys like Canelo and Triple G, you defend your title against our mandatory challenger or we're stripping you. They've done that in the past. They've stripped Golovkin and Canelo of the middleweight title. They have no problem doing that to anyone in boxing, which I guess to an extent you can respect but you got to admit, the level of, the quality of some of these mandatory challenges the IBF puts out is laughably bad. Martin, Pulev, I don't have a problem with Kurep Pulev being the heavyweight mandatory challenger because Kurep Pulev, he's owed a heavyweight title shot. He was supposed to fight Anthony Joshua years ago as a mandatory challenger. He unfortunately got injured and couldn't, and couldn't go through with the fight. He's earned his way back. He's been the mandatory challenger since October 2018. So, you know, I, I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying Kurapulev is a top five guy, but I can understand why he's the mandatory challenger. I just don't think he's, you know, the top, the best contender out there. That's all I'm going to say. Joe Washington, you know, again, I don't even know how he's also in, in this fight, in the, um, I don't even know how he also got put into this title eliminator. It just stinks. It's a bad fight. Don't watch it. it, it like, if you have the full card, all 10 fights, if you were to skip one fight, skip this one. 
just just skip this one. Not even, like even the satisfaction of watching the, the the fight end with one punch is not enough to to watch it or sticking fruit until the end. It's not worth it. Just don't. WBO Super Bantamweight Championship. Emmanuel Navarrete going up against Gio Santissima. Navarrete stops Gio Santissima in the eleventh round. This was weird. This was a weird fight. On paper, this fight should have been over in like three or four rounds, and it wasn't. Uh, I said this at the weigh-ins yesterday, and and then I and I thought and I've been thinking about this for the last what thirty six hours almost. Navarrete didn't look good at the weigh-ins. Like he was able to make one twenty two on the first attempt, and kudos to him for doing that. You could tell something was off with him. He looked bad. The weight cut. That the weight cut definitely affected him in this fight, because he wasn't the same guy that was taking out guys like Francisco de Vaca in a few in a few rounds. He wasn't that guy. Like I don't know what was up with. I'm I'm I, I totally believe that he was not the that the weight cut affected him and that he wasn't able to. You know, showcase the level of power and and speed that we're accustomed to seeing. First few rounds, Navarrete just kind of was going at his own pace. He was landing the jab well. Didn't really do anything too great, but it wasn't like he was struggling. He was just going at his own pace. He didn't look tired or anything. Um, he continuously up. Uh, up the pace, up the pressure, uh, for a couple of rounds, and then he would just go back down, uh, go back to like seventy five percent Navarrete, and then he would go back to eighty percent, and then go back to seventy percent, and then go back to ninety percent, and then uh, it wasn't until the tenth round where we saw Navarrete really uh, shift, go into like third gear, and really hurt Santissima, and then he stops in the eleventh. Um, credit to Santissima for. Hanging in there in the 11th round, which is what, which is what, you know, he, not many people can say. Most wouldn't even go into double digits when it comes to go up against Navarrete. But I do think that this is the last fight for Navarrete at 122 pounds. It should be the last fight for Navarrete at 122 pounds because Navarrete is not going to get unification fights anytime soon. 122, even though I do believe... Prior to this fight, I thought Navarrete was the best fighter at 122 pounds. He's in a division where the Zone and PBC have multiple belt holders, and, and even counting interim titles, they have multiple belt holders. So he's not going to get. He wasn't going to get a unification fight soon. He'll have a much better time going to featherweight, and I do think going to featherweight is going to do uh, give him a lot of. A lot of leeway in terms of getting big fights and not having to, you know, deal with the weight cut as much. Four pounds is going to four 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 pounds is going to be a world of difference for Emmanuel Navarrete, and it's going to be a good thing. You know, I don't think he's going to have problem fighting 126 pounds. I think he's going to be just as good, if not better, than what we have seen at 122 pounds. It's just a shame that. We never got to see Navarrete in a big, big fight after the two wins against Isaac Dagbe. It just, you look at Francisco de Vaca, Juan Miguel Elorde, 
Francisco Horta, Gio Santissima. That's a horrible, that's a subpar uh, resume as a world champion. And I'm not saying this to hate on Manuel Navarrete. I, I love Navarrete. I think he's one of the best fighters. I think he was one of the best surprises towards the end of 2018. And he looked damn good in the rematch against Isaac Dagbe. He looked damn, damn good. I just wish we saw some more. But I do believe this is the this is it for Emmanuel Navarrete. And and I do believe, and I think he's gonna look featherweight's a featherweight is a division where top rank has a bigger foothold in. They have several guys from 122 that can move up, from 126 from Plantin there, maybe even from 130. If they're willing if they're willing to go down, they can go down to 126. So there is a so you can definitely work. With Navarrete far better at 126 pounds than at 122 pounds, but this was not good. This was all right, but it was better than Mar the Charles Martin versus Gerald Washington fight. But I really wouldn't say all that better. Opening the pay per view, we got Sebastian Fundora against Daniel Lewis. Uh, this was weird. This was Sebastian Fundora won this fight. It's going to be very, very weak. It's, look, Sebastian Fundora won this fight, and the scorecards maybe reflected a fight that was more one-sided than what it actually was. But Sebastian Fundora, he is the six foot five prospect, a fighting at 154 pounds. And 15 fights into his pro career, he still doesn't know. He still doesn't realize he's six foot five. He has like a seven, eight, nine inch height and reach advantage every single time out. And it's not like he's a bad fighter. He's a good fighter. Like he he definitely has skills. But he clearly doesn't know what he's doing. He clearly doesn't know what how he that he he doesn't know how to use his height, he doesn't know how to use his length to his and to his advantage, and the problem with Daniel Lewis, uh, Daniel Lewis is, he he does have a, a good amateur pedigree. He fought in the Olympics, representing Australia, but he's only he only had a few fights into his pro career. Like this wasn't like if you wanted to put a fight that would test Dan, uh, Sebastian Fundora, this was not it. This is not it. You know, I think the problem with Sebastian Fundora. It's not just that he doesn't know how to use his height and his reach to you know, to its fullest potential. It's the fact that he is a six foot five, hundred fifty four pound fighter, and as great and marketable as that gimmick is, it's going to come to a point where Fondora is gonna gonna either learn how to use its height to uh, height uh, and reach to his advantage. He's either gonna have to do that, or he's got, or he's gonna get brutally slaughtered by harder punching guys, more experienced guys at 154 pounds. I think, in my opinion, you have to really start thinking about Sebastian Fundora moving up to 160, maybe 168, and just really focusing on adding muscle and adding pounds and adding muscle and building up the legs, because. Even though we have, even though Fundora is a good fighter, 
he's still a prospect, and there are still things you need to work out with him. His defense isn't that great. He tends to fight on the inside way, way too much for someone of his height. He needs to, he, he, he's lanky, he's skinny. If he gets hit real hard in the chin, his skinny ass legs ain't gonna, ain't gonna support that, that six foot five frame. It's not. So he really needs to act, you know, build up his legs a little bit, needs to work on that, needs to use his height and reach advantage to his fullest potential. I mean, he won this fight and he did do well at certain points. But this fight exposed Sebastian Fundora more than it, you know, promoted him as a good, good fighter. Now going to go real quick onto the prelim cards. Javier Molina defeated Amir Iman by unanimous decision. 79, 73, 78, 74, 78, 74. Decent fight. Uh, Javier Molina is you know, up there as a, as a nice, decent B-level uh, junior welterweight. Fighting and beating someone like Amir Iman, it's a nice resume. But I mean, Iman's fought for a world title before, but I wouldn't really say that it's, you know, it's going to catapult him to a world title. But I think he's on his way. I think if Javier Molina wins a few more fights, you could seriously put him in the conversation for a 140-pound title bout. Especially when the top rank has all four titles on, you know, on its... Um, on its roster with Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez. It's not going to happen in 2020, maybe not even in 2021. But I do like what I see from Javier Molina. And I do think if you if you string together a few more wins, you could theoretically put him in the conversation for a title fight. But I would not, I wouldn't put, you know, I don't think he deserves the title shot just yet, but I do like what I see. Petros Ananya defeated Subriel Matias by unanimous decision 96-93, 95-94, 95-94. This was the upset of the night. Uh, Subriel Matias, who unfortunately, as, as some of you may know, he was the guy that fought, uh, you know, it, damn, I'm, I'm actually blanking on, on the name, but he fought a guy last year, uh, Maxim Dadashev. Uh yeah, I I'm blanking out the name. It's 2 a.m. right now, and I'm, as you can tell, as you can tell, it's 2 a.m. right now. But he fought Maxim Dadashev. Uh, he, you know, dominated Dadashev. He hurt him real, real bad, especially towards the end of the fight. Dadashev uh, unfortunately passed away as a result of the injuries he suffered in that fight. But regardless, he was a guy that really was coming up as a top, top contender, 140 pounds, and he dominated for the first seven rounds. I wouldn't say he shut out the first six rounds. But he won most of those first six rounds. And then Matias got knocked down in the, towards the end of the seventh round. And he got back up, but he never recovered from the fight, uh, from that knockdown. And Ananyan, who does have a decent amateur pedigree, he just dominated the last four rounds of the fight. That's at least ever since he dropped Sobrian Matias, and I don't have a problem with the scorecards. I, you know, you could th- you could also put in 95-94 in favor of Matias, and I don't think anyone would have a problem with that. It was a very close fight, and the knockdown pretty much decided things. I mean, at most, if it wasn't for the knockdown, we would have seen a maybe a majority draw with two of the scorecards rating 95-95. Now onto the early prelims: Gabriel Flores Jr. defeats Matt Conway by unanimous decision, 80-71, 80-71, 79-72. 
Beto Milnicki Jr. beats Corey Champion, 40-34, 40-34, 40-35. Isaac Lowe defeats Alberto Guevara by unanimous decision, 9687, 9687, 9588. Uh, this was very weird. There were I do actually recommend watching this fight. You can definitely watch it on the uh, on YouTube, you can start up the the prelims for the early prelims of this fight. My, this was very very weird. We don't have a lot of time left, so I'll just say that there were, I believe, as many as six points deducted from this fight and multiple knockdowns. So, yeah, or maybe I don't remember, it was one or two knockdowns, but there was a very very weird fight. Ah. Uh, <laughs> very very weird uh that's i'll just say it. i do recommend watching just because of how bizarre it is lastly opening the entire the entire festivities rolando romero stops arthur amatov's uh by tko in the second round so last call for anybody got any questions any comments on the uh, into uh, last call for any comments regarding the fight Wilder was a fury. Yes, anything boxing related. We only got a few more minutes left. Uh, quick question, uh, questions here. Will there be a unification between Canelo and Saunders, or is Canelo not W168 uh, WBA regular? Canelo Alvarez is still the WBA regular champion of 168, if I remember correctly. Last I check. Um, but it's, it's not. It's a very. I would not consider regular champions going up against uh, actual world champions to be eliminators, uh, to be unifications, uh, per se. So I would not say, I don't even remember if, if he is still, I think he is still the regular champion. So no, I would not consider that a unification, but I do believe Canelo Saunders is next. Uh, what is up with one the WBC 135 division? Is Haney still champion? Uh, Haney is the, is what's being called as champion Arisa, so he's not the champion, but he is someone who is recognized as someone who should be champion, but for one reason or another, usually injury is, is no longer the belt holder. But once he comes back from injury, Haney will get a chance to win back the WBC title. The title still remains vacant. There is right now potential plans to have two other fighters fight for the belt, and I believe it's Luke Campbell and Javier Fortuna as the guys that are in consideration for that fight. Uh, and if they, those two fight, then Devin Haney would get the winner for that fight. But yes, uh, Haney is not technically known as the champion at 135 pounds, but he is someone that will that will get an, another shot to win it back. Will you be watching AEW Revolution next week or the AEW uh, or the, the Zone card? Uh, that's a good question. I, I will definitely be watching AEW. Uh, I will de I will definitely have the zone on a smaller screen. The focus is on AEW Revolution, but uh, I will definitely be paying attention to the zone card. That the zone card next week. Mikey Garcia versus uh, Jesse Vargas. That card is very, very good. Uh, it, you know, as underwhelming as th this entire card was tonight, next week I expect to be a hell of a card. Uh, I really do think that it's going to be fantastic. All right, let's see. Anybody... As in it, it's likely to see Alexander Bespudin versus Crawford unification. Again, I don't consider regular champions versus actual world champions unifications, and Bespudin probably is going to lose the WBA uh, regular welterweight title because of the because of the positive drug test. I believe they're still waiting on the B sample. So depending on what happens 
for that fight, uh, depending on what happens, is when we might we might we'll probably he's probably gonna get stripped of the title, but it all depends on what happens with the B sample. Is Lawrence O'Coley ready for a world title match? Sure, sure, why not? Just you know, he he is someone that is in the believe in the top two and the WBO cruiserweight rankings, so sure, why not? You just put him up against Glovaki. And that's been a fight that's been rumored to happen. I don't know when's, how, when it's going to happen. I, I've i been told by sources about the WBO that the plan, and this was weeks ago, I was told that the plan is to put it, uh, that they were planning on putting it on the Triple G card that they originally had planned, but Triple G is injured, so I don't know what's going to be up for fights that were planned on that card. Maybe they hold it off until then. Maybe they'll have Lawrence or Coley challenge for a world title on his own card in the UK. Um, that There's a lot of stuff up in the air when it comes to that. So it, it really does depend on a lot of what happens with, you know, with, with what happens with Triple G and other fighter, uh, you know, and the fighters that were all going to be on the on the card. Going to one last quick check on the live chat, guys. I really do like the. I, I really do love the the questions, the feedback that you guys are getting. What do you think of the uh, of this podcast? I love doing these shows with you guys. I it's you know I love talking boxing. I don't often get a chance to do so live in front of an audience, but I do appreciate you doing so. And uh, final call for questions uh, is Manuel Char versus Trevor buying a big heavyweight match. Okay, we're going to end this on this question. <laughs> no. No, it is not. It's amazing how Char and Trevor Ryan have belts, even though they haven't fought for a combined four years, almost. <laughs> There's no better way to end this fight, to end this podcast on a manual Char-Trevor Ryan question. Is it a big heavyweight fight? It is for the memes. But nothing else. His fight shouldn't have. It should have happened a year ago. How they have titles. How they have belts. Is something that not even science can explain to you. And I am. Just a mere thought that Manuel Char and Trevor Bryan. That, uh, are considered world champions by the WBA. It's laughable. It shows how ridiculous the WBA truly is. And it's a problem, but god damn it, I am. It's ridiculous. It's it's all I can say. Man, no Char and Char Ryan, I would not even consider them top 20 heavyweights right now. I really don't. So, it is what it is. Guys, thank you so much for joining in, watching for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury 2. It was a hell of a night. It was a hell of a result. I do appreciate you guys tuning in. I love, again, doing this. I love doing these kinds of shows with you guys, especially after big nights. Leave a, leave a thumbs up on this video. Subscribe to the Fightful MMA and Boxing YouTube channel as well as the Fightful Pro Wrestling channel. FightfulSelect.com if you want to support us financially. Head on over to Fightful.com for all the latest news regarding pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing. Until then, Carlos Toro from Fightful.com, signing out.